for a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster, Monster Kid, Kid Radio. Radio. Here your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classic and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Monster Kid Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodgson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. Classic Monsters. Modern Talk. And the head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster, Monster Kid, Kid Radio. Well, hello, hello, and welcome a podcast, but a podcast with a different distinction. It's me, off the cuff, talking about everything that I love artistically. Usually, it will be segregated to literature, novels, books. And films, but not only that. It may be a time where I talk upon cultural things, most specifically within the art medium. Whether it's movie news, book news, culturally, what's going on. It's literally a podcast about a man on his own, staring at the four walls and just thinking, "What am I?" It's not a rot. It's an articulate warbling. Hey everyone, welcome back to Black Clock Audio Tales. I'm your host and editor, producer, D.B. Spitzer. Today we're going to be talking about Beowulf or Anglo-Saxon sonnets or something dealing with uh, Old English. So stay tuned uh, or check the show notes and find out specifically what we're going to be talking about. If you want to keep the show going, help support the show, help uh, help keep it on the air, uh, why not go to pgttcm.podbean.com and become a member of our patrons. Also, look out for upcoming projects. We always have something going on. Become a member of one of our cults, uh, the t-shirt cult, the sticker cult, the... Uh, I don't know. You know, hey... Um, also, you could support us by going to paypal.me slash pgttcm or just telling people about us or supporting us and being our friends on social media, Instagram, Black Clock Audio Tales, uh, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, Black Clock Audio Tales on Facebook. I'm on Twitter, but I don't do much with it occasionally. I do stuff, but hey, that's about it. So here we go with some Anglo-Saxon, Old English, talkity stuff. Sonnet 73 to 78. 73. Cyric, the successor of Dunstan, reasoned that as they, the Danes, only came for booty, it would be wiser to give them what they wanted. Whether the king's ecclesiastical advisers were afraid of calling out the chiefs of the country with their military arrays, or, like most clerical statesmen, were incompetent to advise the wisest public measure or whether the nobles, in their contempt for the king and his administration, were not displeased at the invasion, and therefore did not oppose the payment, cannot now be certainly known. Sharon Turner's History of the Anglo-Saxons Ethelred the Unready Dark clouds are glooming o'er the Saxon land, its king a churchman's tool, and gold alone buys from the Danish chief the tottering throne. Woe to the land whose priests are kings, 
no hand can bear a heavier scourge than their slight wand. Minster and convent rise amid the woods, and vesper chimes float o'er the solitudes, but mix with shouts from many a pirate band. It was a time for deeds, not words though pure, the fortress not the chapel, and the arm, swinging the censer with a childish care, had helped to save a nation. There is balm sweeter than incense in the grateful tear of the weak saved from agony and fear. 74. A.D. 1002. And in that year the king ordered all the Danish men that were in England to be slain. This was done on St. Bryce's Mass Day. A.D. 1005. In this year was the great famine throughout the English nation, such that no man ever before recollected one so grim. Anglo-Saxon Chronicle Massacre of the Danes Think not thy crooked policy will save thy crown or kingdom, weak and cruel chief. It will but give to thee a deadly grief. Crimes do not go unpunished to the grave. The avenging furies back the culprit wave from its repose and hunt him o'er the earth, shouting in silent hours, whispering in mirth, words that will make a coward of the brave. The blighted harvest withers in the field, the house-dog watches by a fireless home, in Wolfnoth's hall, and neither sword nor shield, and herds untended through the forest roam, and in man's hearts died love and hope and trust, things that will raise a nation from the dust. 75. Ethelred was liberal to poets who amused him. Gunlogre the Skald sailed to London and presented himself to the king with an heroic poem on the royal virtues. He sang it and received in return a purple tunic lined with the richest furs and adorned with fringe and was appointed to a station in the palace. Sharon Turner's History of the Anglo-Saxons the poet rust gather on that harp from eye that rings the false praise of the worthless or is still when the oppressor vaunts his deeds of ill tis sad as if an angel's starry wings bore him to erebus what can the things of earthly tinsel dazzle eyes that see beneath the surface of humanity how the dark deed from a mean heart upsprings Shall there be none to live the spirit life, no priest of nature, and no seer of time? Still, let some whisper mid this deafening strife, that earth yet keeps her grasp of the sublime, that time still touches on eternity, that faith and life and death are things that ever be. 76. Edmund Ironside, the brave son of the weak Ethelred, succeeded to the government of the distracted kingdom, half of which was now in the possession of the Danes in A.D. 1016. Before the Battle of Sheerstan, addressing the English, he conjured them to remember their country, their families, their homes, for which they were fighting. During the conflict, a report was spread by the enemy that he was killed, but ascending an eminence, he took off his helmet and exposed his unarmed head to undeceive his people, 
but the panic had spread. His efforts were unavailing. The battle was lost. Edmund Ironside He thought his hero soul could animate for a brief space that flying host. Tis vain. Wildly they rush across the fatal plain. All that they highest, dearest held of late, in one mad wish for life they leave to fate. Their country seemed but as another, fame a thing unthought of, freedom but a name. Within their craven hearts died even love and hate. Clasp the plumed helm again upon thy brow, and turn thee from that field where all is lost. And yet it is not so, not then, nor now, does that which so much heart and mind hath cost perish for ever from one blow. He passed from the night-shadowed plain, the proudest and the last. 77. Canute, from his warlike ability, surnamed the Brave, from his renown and empire, the Great, from his liberality, the Rich, and from his devotion, the Pious. Sharon Turner's History of the Anglo-Saxons. 1017. In this year, King Canute obtained the whole realm of the English race, and he banished Edwy the Etheling, and afterwards commanded him to be slain, and Edwy, King of the Churls. 1029. This year, King Canute gave to Christ Church at Canterbury the haven at Sandwich, and all the Jews that arise thereof on either side of the haven. The Anglo-Saxon Chronicle. Canute the Great. Canute the Great. The Great in what? In crime? I know no title that he hath to be ennobled thus by flattering history. A massive figure through the mists of time he looms upon us. But the true sublime is not in him. Tis easy to forgive those whom we envy not, permit to live those whom we fear not to our height can climb, easy to put aside the glittering toy that symbolised the power his stern red hand clutched, with a grasp death only could destroy, and to heap offerings of a plundered land upon the church altars, ne'er can be accepted sacrifice to deity. 78. During the troubles that followed the withdrawal of the Romans from Britain, a great portion of the land had gone out of cultivation and was again covered with forest. Half a century in an unexhausted soil is ample time to convert the most flourishing district into thick brushwood and impervious bush. Beech and fir do not require fifty years to become large trees. The elm, the alder, and even the oak are well-sized growths at that age. Kemble's Saxons in England The Forest Pause for a while upon those gentler things History deems worthless, mid her deeds of strife, Though blood and tears ne'er made a nation's life. O'er the still lake, its way the heron wings, Close to the swineherd's cot the redbreast sings, while he by gurgling brook or forest tree stretches his limbs in idle liberty, while through the glades the hunter's bugle rings. The forest, twas our Saxon father's home, girdling with leafy walls each cultured spot. No wonder that we love the Gothic dome, 
impressions of that past we have forgot rest on us still though mindless of their power we think ourselves the offspring of the hour end of part nine